TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. Fentanyl overdose deaths are continuing to rise across the country, and that includes San Francisco, which has seen an alarming spike in fatal overdoses in the first few months of this year. But even as this crisis deepens, one thing we don't seem to have is any kind of consensus about how to respond. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Menconing. Earlier this past week, California began the deployment of CHP officers to San Francisco in an effort to help clamp down on street-level drug dealing. The hope is that with more boots on the ground and additional assistance from California National Guard members as well, San Francisco will begin to get a handle on the open-air drug markets that have overrun portions of the city. But the move is also drawing fierce pushback from those who say a law enforcement crackdown is no way to address what is fundamentally a public health crisis. So today on the program, we'll hear from both sides as San Francisco and the entire state search for answers in the face of this spiraling epidemic of drug addiction. To get us started, we're actually going to begin at the state level because there has been a lot of activity in Sacramento recently. So welcoming on now someone who's been following all the twists and turns in the legislature, that's Sophia Bolag, a California politics reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Sophia Bolag, welcome to the program. Good to be here. So the state assembly recently took up a number of measures that aim to deal with the fentanyl crisis, uh, but there is disagreement about what exactly should be done. Some are pushing for a more punitive approach. Some are pushing for more treatment and education. Uh, And this has become a heated emotional debate at times. Uh, To get a sense of that, I'm going to play first a a clip of testimony from a recent committee hearing. This is Pamela Smith from Fresno, whose son died of a fentanyl overdose in 2016. She was speaking in favor of a measure to stiffen penalties for fentanyl dealers. I urge you to pass AB 1058. So dealers who sell fentanyl will face the penalties that they deserve. I support this bill because it specifically doesn't target 
addicts or casual users like my son, Jackson. He only bought one pill that day, and it cost him his life. So, Sophia Bolag, uh, there does seem to be this growing sense of uh, desperation, and we heard it right there, um, uh, to do something to help deal with this crisis. Uh, Tell us more about how the conversation has been taking shape in Sacramento. Absolutely. Um, So there have been many bills introduced in the legislature this year in both uh, the Assembly and the state Senate to address the fentanyl overdose crisis we're seeing in the state. And uh, as you know, you just heard in that clip, um, there was a lot of really emotional testimony at the recent Assembly public safety hearing that that is from. And I would say in terms of the, the legislation that's been introduced, Broadly speaking, the bills that have been introduced that aim to introduce or to increase treatment options for overdoses and for opioid addiction have been advancing through the legislature and bills that really aim to crack down on drug dealing um, have gotten sort of a more mixed reception. Um, Some have advanced, uh, for example, the lawmakers on that that committee did advance a bill that would ban carrying both a gun and fentanyl at the same time, as well as a couple other enforcement measures. Um, but others have stalled, including um, the the bill that was being discussed in that clip. And I would say that most bills that I've seen that aim to crack down on uh, drug dealing um, have not advanced, although some have. And I think that's a trend that you're seeing because there are some more progressive Democrats in the legislature who are very wary of increasing penalties for drug dealing. They really don't want to create another war on drugs and lock a lot of people up, um, which uh, isn't you know, found to be effective necessarily in actually curbing drug abuse. Um, and so there's a lot of concern that that is not the right approach, at least from some more progressive Democrats in the legislature. Interesting. So that's a, a very interesting dynamic that is shaping up in uh, Sacramento, bringing things a little bit closer to uh, home here in the Bay Area. As we mentioned at the top, uh, Monday of this past week marked the first day of a partnership between San Francisco and state agencies that will see CHP officers and California National Guard members assisting local efforts to crack down on drug dealing. Uh, Sophia Bolag, what do we know so far about how this this effort is shaping up? So there are um, additional CHP officers that have been deployed on the ground in the Tenderloin and the Soma neighborhoods in San Francisco um, who are assisting with on-the-ground enforcement and helping train local police officers on on how to deal with um, the the drug dealing that's happening in those neighborhoods. Um, As you mentioned, um, there are also members of the National Guard who are assisting with this effort. They're not actually going to be on the ground. You're not going to see, you know, uniformed National Guards, men and women um, patrolling the streets of the Tenderloin or anything like that. But they are helping in the background with intelligence gathering and helping, uh, you know, sort of determine who the, um, you know, people are involved in drug dealing rings and gathering intelligence related to sort of um, the big drug dealing rings that are bringing drugs into the city. 
Um, and so that's that's sort of what we know so far about about that state effort to partner with local police to really ramp up enforcement in those neighborhoods. And this is something that came at the request of San Francisco city leaders. I mean, I think for anybody who spent some time in San Francisco, they will have seen for themselves uh, the state uh, of many streets at this point. But talk a little bit more uh, about what city leaders are responding to in terms of the fentanyl crisis, uh, drug dealing on the streets, uh, and also a little bit about uh, what the city has been trying so far. Yeah, I mean, the drug use and overdose crisis in the Tenderloin has really become a national news story. And it's something that is a very high priority for people who live in the Tenderloin or live in other parts of of San Francisco, but who walk through that neighborhood. It's something that they really want their public officials to address. You know, as you mentioned, Earlier overdose deaths in San Francisco have really jumped this year. We've seen a 40% increase in just the first three months of this year compared with last year. Um, So it really is a crisis and it's something where uh, voters are really demanding that their elected officials do something to really curb the open air drug markets that they're seeing on the streets. And Mayor London Breed has been working to try to crack down and, and address the situation for a while now. Um, she opened a resource center in the Tenderloin called the Tenderloin Center, where homeless people could get services and also get medical care and drug treatment. Um, but she ended up closing it after she said that it didn't do really an effective enough job connecting people with services. So it's certainly something that city leaders have been working to address, but the problem is still getting worse. And so there's just a really um, intense focus um, from from people in San Francisco and even outside the city on on really pressuring leaders to to do something to address it. All right. And that was Sophia Bolag, uh, California politics reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. This is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Moving on now, we're going to talk more about this uh, deployment in San Francisco and also uh, the broader debate about how to best respond to the fentanyl crisis. For that, welcoming on now two more guests. First, going to say hello to San Francisco's district attorney, Brooke Jenkins. Brooke Jenkins, welcome to the program. Hi, Keith. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And also welcoming on Dr. Dan Ciccaroni, a professor of addiction medicine at UC San Francisco. Dan Ciccaroni, welcome to you as well. Keith, thanks for having me on. Well, D.A. Jenkins, I would like to start with you. Uh, You campaigned in part on a promise to crack down on drug dealing in the city. What are you hoping these extra resources from the state will be able to accomplish? Most importantly, I hope that they can accomplish allowing SFPD to uh, be able to identify who the dealers are in order to make uh, more significant arrests. Of course, we all see the street dealers out here, uh, specifically in the Tenderloin and south of Market, but we we all know that they are being supplied with drugs um, by people who are up above them who may not be out on the street. And so we want to be making sure that we're not just getting low-level dealers, but we're getting their suppliers as well. Uh, from a prosecution standpoint, uh, we have been combating uh, an argument by the defense that their Uh, clients are being trafficked and that they are selling drugs unwillingly out on the street, um, despite 
not proffering any evidence of that being the case. And so we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can from a law enforcement perspective to gather intel on these networks uh, to really demonstrate to our juries and to our city that these are uh, this, these are business models um, that are going on on our streets. And we want to make sure that we are presenting adequate information to our juries so that they can make uh, responsible decisions in our cases. What for you is the metric of success? Is it uh, drug dealers arrested? Is it streets cleared? What What would you like to see happen? For me personally, as a San Franciscan, as somebody raising children in this city, it's streets being cleared. Uh, what we cannot continue to accept is the state of affairs that's going on in our downtown area, uh, that families in the Tenderloin who are raising children like I am should have to endure what they are experiencing right now. And while yes, arrests are up, uh, significantly, we've received uh, almost twice as many cases from the San Francisco police with respect to drug dealing uh, than this entire time period last year. That's not enough if we still see, you know, an overwhelming crisis on our streets and, and if the death rate continues to rise. All right. Well, as we've been alluding to, uh, many are warning, though, that a law enforcement crackdown could harm the very same people that the city is trying to help beat their addictions. Uh, So bringing Dan Ciccaroni into the conversation now. uh, Dan Ciccaroni, you've been among those speaking out and just a little bit more on your background. uh, You've conducted extensive field work uh, researching drug use in cities throughout the country. So I think it's fair to say that you have a good sense of what's going on on the ground out there. What are you worried about when it comes to stepped-up law enforcement? So first off, I do have sympathies around the public safety, the public nuisance problem. Um, The Tenderloin has become uh, an open-air drug market. Uh, There have been other times and places that have had to deal with this. And so there is some wisdom out there. There is some experience about how to deal with um, these inner city phenomenon when when they do pop up. We also have to remember that fentanyl is a historic foe right? We don't know all the answers uh, because we haven't faced such a deadly uh, drug problem um, in the past, both nationally and locally. Um, my concerns about a uh, a monolithic um, public safety approach, an, an arrest and clear the streets kind of approach, is that uh, it, it, there's two there's two facets to think about. One is uh, often these efforts are short term, right? And we have to remember that the drug supply uh, across time and space. I have data on this that I've studied extensively. Um, is very resilient. It will yin yang. It will rebound back um, as soon as we let off the pressure. So, are the current efforts meant to be short term or long term? Um, The second is, and this is a bit more concerning, um, the goal typically of drug supply interventions uh, is not necessarily to sweep the streets, it's to raise the price of the drug and to reduce its supply. Uh, This will cause uh, um, extensive suffering among people who are dependent on the drug. I don't see a concurrent effort um, to help people uh, with the suffering over the next few weeks and months. And the second is when that yin-yang happens, when that rebound happens in the drug supply, your death rate's going to go up. Uh, rarely has there been a crackdown uh, where overdoses have not gone up. It's one of, it's one of the prime predictors uh, of overdose is a dearth in supply and then a rebound in supply. And, and why would uh, that so be? Those are my, 
why, why, would, why, why would it be the case that if there wasn't as much supply that might make um, uh, folks who are addicted on the street more vulnerable to overdose? Well, they suffer uh, partly because of, of withdrawal, right? Um, and uh, to the degree that some people are clever and manage to uh, find alternative supplies by, for example, going over one of our bridges or uh, having an out-of-town connection. Um, people might have a personal supply. Um, it's the it's the perturbation of the supply that leads to overdose, both in the short term uh, and uh, in the long term when the law enforcement efforts uh, get relaxed. All right. Well, there were uh, two points in that answer. I want to bring them both back to DA Brooke Jenkins, starting with um, the comments about the resiliency of the drug supply. So one thought here is that if we can disrupt the drug supply, uh, arrest uh, high-level dealers, then there might be less availability of this drug in San Francisco. Dan Ciccaroni is saying that, um, in fact, history shows that that's very difficult to do. And I think fentanyl in particular is a very difficult drug to interdict just because of how small an amount of it you need for the, the drug effect. So uh, how, Brooke Jenkins, your, your, your response to that concern that we, we may not really be able to uh, clamp down on the drug supply much at all. So I, I first want to point out that while I was asked questions about the law enforcement strategies, uh, in no way have I advocated for a, a monolithic approach. Um, I, I do believe that we need more resources dedicated to putting people into recovery who are struggling with addiction. But I don't believe that they have any chance of being successful in recovery if we still allowed people to to peddle agents of death to them uh, every step along their way when they walk from maybe their shelter to to a recovery center. Um, We have to make sure that we have a twofold approach to this, which is to reduce supply, but also allow people the opportunity to get clean. And I think that those two go hand in hand. Um, Do I believe that we will eradicate fentanyl from our streets completely? No, I don't. Uh, But I do believe we have to reduce um, the volume with which we are seeing it. I've been prosecuting in this city for eight years. When I was handling narcotics cases myself, uh, the most prevalent drugs that we saw were crack, heroin, and methamphetamine. We are now at a point where the majority of the cases that we handle, and I'm talking hundreds of cases uh, with respect to narcotics, are fentanyl cases, people selling fentanyl. And so we have to make sure that we are doing what we can and what we are obligated to do to reduce its prevalence on our streets. And uh, um, D.A. Jenkins, your response as well to uh, Dan Ciccaroni's concern that any crackdown is going to increase the suffering of drug addicts on the streets. Is that something that can be taken into account as well? It certainly goes to the second prong, which is which is what I said. We have to have sufficient resources available to allow people to to uh, detox in a manner that supports them through that process. And that requires recovery centers that requires places where they can come and receive medical care during that that very difficult and and painful process. Um, you know, I've seen people coming through the court system who are detoxing and it is not something that's that's easy to go through. And we need to have sufficient resources available in our city for people to get clean and to go through that process. And Dan Ciccaroni with UC San Francisco, are there enough resources yet in San Francisco? Oh, certainly not. Um, we have prided ourselves for uh, as long as I've been a doctor here, almost 30 years of being a treatment and demand city 
uh, it has been rare that we've achieved that. And by treatment on demand, we mean uh, to not have people wait a week to go across town to take two buses. Uh, treatment on demand means uh, same day entry. Um, Recently, efforts have, have been uh, promoted to increase street outreach, uh, early starts of buprenorphine, one of our main treatment drugs for opiate use disorder, including fentanyl. Um, and that has helped, uh, but everyone is resource constrained. Everyone is, is both financially and uh, in terms of staffing uh, resource constrained. Um, we need a massive increase in both treatment and recovery slots. And we also need people on the ground, in the Tenderloin, um, being able to provide uh, services as people go through withdrawal during uh, the supply shock that's coming. Um, it is a shame, from my perspective, that the uh, Tenderloin Center or something like it uh, does not currently exist. Uh, we need that, and I can certainly go into the reasons why uh, it would be helpful. Yeah, let's uh, let's pick up on that in one second. But um, talking about this question of resources, uh, DA Brooke Jenkins, it sounds like you're saying we need a, a, a yes and approach uh, to dealing with the fentanyl crisis, uh, both law enforcement and these uh, treatment options. But you know, uh, Mayor uh, London Breed, she's calling for a, a surge in funding for police officers at some point. Um, you know, the city will face uh, resource constraints. Will one option inevitably squeeze out the other? Is it, is it really possible to uh, have these sorts of increases that, that we're hearing about uh, from Dan Ciccaroni, uh, given those resource constraints? I have to believe that we are an innovative and creative city. We're a resourceful city that can find those resources. I know we have a mayor that's dedicated to both of those issues, both making sure that residents of the Tenderloin, visitors to our city, people who want to just go down and, and patron a business in the Tenderloin um, are able to do so and, and feel safe when they do so, but also that we are a city that is compassionate and that cares for our most vulnerable, which are the people that are on the street. And, and so we want to make sure that we are working together to be creative about how we can, can, can gather the resources to do what we need to do to support people um, who are on the street and who need to be assisted through their recovery process. And so I do believe that we can achieve that and that the mayor is somebody who embodies uh, a dedication to both of those issues. All right. Well, real quick, uh, for anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, the fentanyl crisis and its tragic toll are growing, but California remains split on what to do about it. We're digging into the, the debate with uh, Sophia Bolag with the San Francisco Chronicle. Also just heard from Brooke Jenkins uh, with San Francisco's DA. And we've been hearing from Dan Ciccaroni, a professor of addiction medicine at UC San Francisco. Uh, I actually want to bring in one more voice to the conversation, and uh, that is the voice of San Francisco supervisor Matt Dorsey, who has been outspoken both about his own personal experience with drug addiction uh, and also his strong support for a law enforcement response to the fentanyl crisis. Uh, speaking with KCBS recently, uh, picking up on uh, some of the themes that we've already talk, uh, talked about, he says that while he does want to see more treatment options made available, he also believes that legal penalties, including uh, an arrest perhaps, can help push some to seek treatment who might otherwise would not have done so. I think there should be better and more coercive interventions. I will say this as somebody who spent most of my adult life in recovery. I have spent like too much time in too many meetings 
hearing people say that it was a getting arrested or some kind of a case that they got caught up in that was the moment that made them make a decision to change their lives. We all have a different path when we struggle with addiction and it doesn't work for everybody. But for many of us who have had success in recovery, consequences save lives. And that was Supervisor Matt Dorsey. Uh, Dan Ciccaroni, uh, your response, is there a role for accountab- accountability, perhaps uh, legal accountability in pushing people to deal with uh, their drug addiction? Uh, well, I certainly appreciate uh, Supervisor Dorsey's um, opinion on this. It's heartfelt. Um, we have to remember that what we mean by recovery, which is a uh, difficult to explain in, short, in a few words, but it's a special program for people who want to go completely abstinent from their drugs. Um, it does create a kind of social cultural picture that doesn't work for everybody. Not everyone does well with the the kind of strict um, uh, approaches that are taken by, uh, by 12-step and by abstinence-based recovery programs. That's not to say that consequences don't save lives, but um, I have a better idea. A better idea, and this is one that um, has not been tried very well. Uh, the Tenderloin Center opened for 10 months, uh, was not a long enough period of, of effort. Um, is an engagement approach, right? Engage the population in a way that helps them see the light, right? Uh, This could be done better than what a clinic can do, better than what a treatment uh, community can do, better than a recovery community. And it's called harm reduction. It's called supervised consumption spaces. What these places do is treat people where they're at, treat them without judgment, Uh, treat them with dignity and respect. And then you see the magic. You start to see people turn on, uh, instead of being pushed toward treatment, they feel invited toward treatment. Um, That's what I would approach. Uh, That's the approach that I would say uh, 10 months was simply not enough time for the Tenderloin Center to work. It had a high engagement approach. I was privileged to to come in and see uh, the great work that people were doing. Uh, it did reduce, not very many, but it did reduce by a small margin overdose deaths uh, in the city. Um, and because it's high engagement, people will change within it. Um, we need to bring wraparound services, bring treatment on demand to the location, not refer out. We need to bring hepatitis C and soft tissue infection treatment on site. And. I, I, it sounds like if more of those resources were in place, Dan Ciccaroni, uh, you would be more supportive of uh, some of the law enforcement moves that we're seeing? I think the mantra of uh, starting with um, uh, the Obama administration at the national level, DOJ, HIDA, DEA, has been a public health meets public safety partnership, right? Let's work together on this. All right. Well, we are running short on time. So I think I'm going to have to give the closing thought to uh, DA Brooke Jenkins. Um, having you know, heard uh, some of those comments there, give us the forward-looking perspective. Where are you hoping San Francisco will land a year from now, two years from now? Uh, what, what is the positive vision and how do we get there? I am hoping that we will land uh, in a space where people on both sides feel that we have the resources and the dedication that that this city deserves, uh, that we have safer streets, that we have uh, less drug dealing going on on our streets. 
where we have the available resources that we need to both uh, allow people abstinence-based treatment, uh, but also to meet certain people where they're at as well. Um, our main goal, I think, in this city right now is to save lives and to make sure that our residents and our visitors and our businesses are safe. And I don't think it requires uh, us to be polarized on either extreme, but, but to make sure that we're using all of the tools that we have available to us to get to that, that end goal. All right. And that is a good point to end on. And we're going to thank now all of our guests for joining us and round things out. Uh, we have been speaking one last time to Sophia Bolag, California politics reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Sophia Bolag, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Also heard there from Brooke Jenkins, San Francisco's district attorney. Brooke Jenkins, thanks to you as well. Thank you so much for having me. And we heard from Dr. Dan Ciccaroni, professor of addiction medicine at UC San Francisco. Thanks to you as well. Keith, thanks for having me on. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll talk again next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.